Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. This is episode 84 with Richard Wilkins. You can find him on Twitter at Richard Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for being here. I know there's a lot of new people here, so thank you. Uh, please subscribe. You can check out some old episodes. There's plenty to listen to. We've been here for some time making this show. And once again, I couldn't make the show if it weren't for you. So thank you so much. You can subscribe to the mailing list at osherginsberg.com. If you want to email me, just simply write back to the mail out that I send uh, every week on that emailing list. And um, I read each one. I write back a lot. So thanks to everybody that uh, got in touch this week uh, on Twitter, on email. I'm pretty sure I wrote back to everybody. But thank you. Thank you so much. How's your week? How are you? How are you? Are you okay? Have a little check. Occasionally when I do this show, I should tell you. Occasionally, you know that my guests and I get into some, some, some deep water together and sometimes afterwards the guests ask me if they can have a bit of a listen back before i upload it just to be sure that they're cool with what they said no totally fine i'm grateful to do that i'm not here to gazump gotcha anybody well this week i asked someone if i could have a listen back i uh, had a conversation with michelle laurie on her podcast the nitty gritty committee uh, it was in the end of november last year or start of december last year and i uh i asked her if i could have a listen back because it's pretty much the deepest i've dived on my health and my history with someone we we talk a lot and we talk very deeply about pretty much everything so depending on when you're listening to this it's out this week um the nitty-gritty committee is what that show is and if you have a listen and you like it please let her know because Michelle's ace. But uh, I, got, I got away this week, which was good. I, you know, my girlfriend and I uh, 
took a rare break this week with there's a tiny little window in the bachelor schedule that turned up. Um, I've been working six days a week. She's got a kid, so there's a lot of not much time. Uh, so we managed to sneak, sneak away for three days. And um, not only did we find some time to relax, which was very nice, we found some time to heal, which is also very nice. You know, sometimes little things and little tiny little resentments that we have in relationships, if, if we just barrel on thinking, oh, no, 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 they're going to be fine. Those things grow, man. Those things grow and they eventually can cause a lot of trouble later on. So it was really nice. I mean, we've only been together maybe nine months, coming on a year. Uh, but still, it's important. It's super important to make time uh, aside from the logistics. Did you pack the lunch? Did you put the kid away? Did you Are you going to dancing to pick her up? Are you, I've got work tomorrow. Logistics, man. Gets in the way. But it's, I found it's like so important just to take some time, set aside some, uh, some time to do that, you know, which was, uh, which is really important, which, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really grateful that we did that. And it was nice. It was a kind of break where over breakfast, we were already talking about what we were going to have for lunch, <laughs> which I always like <laughs> that kind of stuff is my favorite. Uh, but yeah, it was good. Uh, we had a really good time and, uh, we went sea kayaking, which was awesome. I haven't done that in a while, but we went sea kayaking and uh, we caught some monsters. We caught some big open ocean swells, which is super fun. Um, like the non-breaking waves that happen right out off the point out to sea. We we're in a big enough boat and we could, she's, think, she's quite fit. And we were able to paddle quite fast and we got some mountains. It was cool, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, a relationship won't fix itself all the time. You can't just expect things to get better by themselves. It's like anything, anything. It's going to need maintenance and care if you want it to keep going. But uh, yeah, we had a really lovely time. I'm going to be paying off my credit card for a while. That's a fact. I'm happy to pay that. All right, before we get to my guest, I want to call a mate, uh, Daniel McPherson. You know him. He was on this show a few episodes ago. Hopefully, he's going to pick up his phone. I don't know what country he's in, though. Come on, buddy. Hey, mate. Dan? There we go. Are you good? How are you, Dan? Yeah, good, man. How are you? Yeah, buddy. I'm, I'm really good. Where in the world are you? connection our, our worlds keep colliding are you there yeah mate where in the world are you ah uh, man i've just run back to the hotel so i could chat to you i'm actually in sydney of all places so i'm actually just down the road i think yep you're in the same city i'm in i know i just i just saw the sunset over the bridge and the harbor and uh, I flew in yesterday morning from New Zealand, and uh, I'm here for the weekend. And um, what a glorious, glorious autumn day it is! Sure, it's a bit chilly, a bit chilly in Sydney today. How's the filming in New Zealand going on Shananana? Shananana Ra is going very, very well, man. Um, the Elven Kingdom is under attack from a demon army, and uh, isn't that Jonathan always Reece the Davies way? Isn't that always yeah. the way? 
the sneaky demons. But mate, I got uh, I got Jonathan Rhys Davies and a, a great young Aussie actor called Aaron Jakobenko. He's playing my brother, and John Rhys Davies playing my dad, and. Uh, we are uh, consorting and conspiring to uh, repel the demonic attack, mate. So it's it's good fun. New Zealand is spectacular. You know, it's it's a beautiful time of year over there, and and I've had Zoe over there for the last uh, the last couple of weeks. So we've been doing a bit of exploring on my days off, and um, and mate, yeah, it's it's I'm loving it. We're into the final final month now, so I started there in January, and we wrap up uh, in June. But yeah, man, it's gonna, it's gonna be great, and, and it's that exciting time where where producers and networks and everybody are starting to see first cuts of the first few episodes and the feedback is, is very exciting. So, yeah, it's an exciting time over there. Okay, so let's just let's just go back just a few steps. You're working with Jonathan Reese davies <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, it's so good. I love that dude. Um, Gimli from Lord of the Rings. Uh, Stala from Indiana Jones. Indy! Um He's just he is a is an absolute joy to work with. The guy is is even at, at his his veteran status. Um, he has got the most joyful, youthful, playful, create, creative spirit. Uh, whenever he steps on set, it's it's just a it's a it's a masterclass to, to be around. Man, it's beautiful. Just get him one time to say asps. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> I think everybody in the cast and crew have pulled him aside at one point. He said, hey, can you, can you just say this for me? Yeah. <laughs> now, we're, to- we're talking because sometime uh, last year when um, we were here in Bondi, actually just a few hundred metres from where I am, we sat down and had a breakfast and you, you quietly told me that you were pretty much losing your shit making this movie. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, and and now the movie's coming out. So you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were working about 27 hours a day. Um, and, oh, hang on. Oh, 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 oh. Yep. See, the, you're there. Yeah, I'm here, buddy. You're working about 20 million go. hours a day on uh, Infinity. Yeah, man. It's um, it's incredible. We had a screening in Sydney last night, and, and it was a, a family and friends screening. And, uh, and and the first real public screening as well. So, so Filmink, uh, the magazine, who've been great supporters of this movie, put on a screening at the Randwick Ritz last night because it's having it's having it today. It's having a digital release around Australia, so not a theatrical release. It's not in cinemas in Australia. Uh, but it's having a digital release here. So we put off put on a one off cinematic uh, night last night at the Randwick Ritz. And finally, my friends and my family and people in in the industry and people got to see why we went down this rabbit hole of madness and chaos uh, and they got to see the final product and uh it's a very exciting time we were released this morning uh, actually no we were released at midnight last night uh about 15 minutes ago we hit number one on the itunes charts for sci-fi and fantasy movies in our genre so that's exciting and we've gone from we, were, we opened at number 46 on the itunes overall charts and we're up at number eight and climbing. So it's a very exciting time um, with a lot of Australian support for for an Australian movie, which is great. And then we've just opened like 11 minutes ago in, in the US. The US has a theatrical release as well as a, as a digital release. So it's opening in cinemas and, and online. And already the numbers are really strong out of the US. So it's um, there's a bunch of kids over here. Uh, just rubbing their hands together with glee, watching their little sci-fi project rocket up the charts around the world, man. It's, it's incredible. 
I, I couldn't be happier for you because I, I know at the time you made a, you made a very conscious decision at the time. And I remember you telling me like, this is, this is the one G, this is the one, this is the, the acting job that's going to, that's going to really change things. Do you feel that, that it is that job? Uh, yeah, yeah. Regardless of, of what people say or what people think of the movie or what people think of my performance, it, it's already changed the way I approach acting and the way I pr- approach my performing. And, and I think I've definitely matured as an actor since the actual process of, of making Infinity, which was a very immersive. It was a very uh, method style of shooting that, that lasted um, a long, you know, three or four months for me from start to finish. Um, and it took a very heavy toll on, on me personally, but but you know, it's ultimately rewarding when you see it um, when you see it up there. But but more importantly, or maybe less importantly, depending on how you how you see it. But but it's changing perceptions of of, of, of people towards me um, in Australia already in the in the twenty four hours that it's been out. Um, the reviews are saying wonderful things and exciting things, and and it is it does feel a little bit like my chopper, you know, yeah. the way what Chopper did for Eric Banner. Um, it, it does feel uh, I don't want to jump the gun, but but in a lot of ways it feels like a, a similar career changing um, uh, role, which which is I'm just over the moon, mate. It's, it's it's wonderful. I could I couldn't be happier. And and, and sp- <laughs> speaking of career changing, you're putting your money where your mouth is today, mate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, I, I guess uh, uh, I guess you're talking about the dancing decision, huh? You bet. Yeah, look, that was you, you talk about you talk about things lining up when when things are right in your life, and and you know, things people talk about fate or the universe or or God or whatever they believe in. But for me, it was just a wonderful, beautiful uh, fusion of timing where. Where Infinity was released, uh, I was getting pushed for an answer of whether I was going to go back to dancing. I'm over in the US shooting Shannara, and the money and finance came through for the the team behind Infinity's next movie, and they've offered me the lead role in that movie as well. So suddenly, I've got a film being released, a show, a big budget MTV USA series that's going to come out uh, in in the next twelve months. And then to go straight to work on a on a massive feature on a much bigger scale than the one we made, um, it all happened at the same time. And so I made the decision that, or, 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 or the universe made the decision for me that uh, I wasn't going to be able to do dancing this year, and it was time to step away from that and, and really focus on what was in front of me. And that was um, some incredible acting opportunities, and, and and it's very satisfying. Gee, it's it's um it's yeah it's it's a really like I was saying, it's a really exciting time. We talk, we talk a lot about that on this show. In fact, my guest last week, Wempy, was saying that don't chase security because security for itself, its own sake, is a falsehood. There is more security in chasing opportunity, and it sounds like you feel that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've, you know, it's just the, 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 you, don't, you don't grow without challenging yourself, and, and if you're happy to keep doing what you've always done and you're comfortable that's a lovely way to be but but it doesn't facilitate or stimulate any kind of growth and for me challenging myself with infinity stimulated the most growth of me in myself as an actor in the last 15 years and similarly taking that leap of faith and 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 leaving you know, choosing to leave dancing it i just had this amazing wave of excitement of of simply of possibility you know, to open yourself up to new possibility. I was 
I thought I'd be in two minds as to leaving a lovely, secure job, but but you take that away and you stand on the precipice and and there's nothing but blue sky and you're like, wow, okay, what, what can I do? What you know? I just got excited with with opportunity and possibility. Mate, I, you know what's what's going to happen is you're going to explode and people going overnight success, Daniel McPherson. I'll be like, <laughs> uh, actually, no. If if your overnight is twenty years, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's um, it's yeah, yeah, it's interesting. People, there's a lot of people going, oh man, we always knew you'd do it, and we always knew you had it, and we always knew you were gonna gonna finally get there, and yada yada. But but they weren't giving me jobs in the same sentence. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, there is a lovely um, there seems to be a lovely undercurrent of of support in in the last week um from everything that's happened, which is great and. and uh, and man, I just, I'm really, I feel like I'm in a great place, G, and you know what that's like, because you know what it's like, you know, we've both had conversations over the years when, when we're not in great places and things aren't clicking and things aren't going the way we want them to, but um, but when it all syncs up and everything just uh, falls into place, it's uh, it's a lovely feeling. Dan, I, I, I couldn't be more proud to have had a ringside seat watching you, or have a ringside seat on, on your career and watching you from so closely and that you've allowed me to bear witness to how you manage yourself through these last, you know, four or five years that we've been in the U S together. It's, I'm just, I couldn't be more happy for you, mate. Um, oh, mate. I really, Thank you really very am. much. Well, our, our friendship and, and, and you inspire me in many, many ways, buddy. And, and thank <laughs> you very much. And I'm glad you've been a part of it so far, you know, it's only, only the beginning and we're only dipping our toe in, but, you know, the other thing is there's very few people in the world that you can sit down and talk to about what it's like to stand out and host live TV in front of however many million people. <laughs> you know, there's not many people that you can sit down and especially and ones that you can talk, talk about it with with experience and some some point of authority, you know. Yeah. So, so buddy, you, you inspire me and you're a, you're a great friend and, uh, and, and I'm excited to share it with you also, brother. It's going to be great. Okay, so if you're listening to this right now on an iPhone, pause it, go into the iTunes store and go and buy Infini, I-N-F-I-N-I. You can rent it if you want, but you may as well buy it because it's awesome because Dan Mack's in it and Luke Hemsworth's in it and it's super scary sci-fi. Who's going to like this movie? People who like sci-fi? Yeah, look, sci-fi, the classic sci-fi buffs are going to like it. They're, they're really, it's, it's, um, it is very classic sci-fi. Shana Best, the filmmaker, is strategically and specifically modeled this and designed this movie on, on 79 to 82 sort of uh, the, those years of sci-fi, which were very classic sci-fi. They were responsible for, for Alien and Blade Runner and, 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 and big films like that, you know, genre-defining films like that. So you think you go into this movie thinking you've seen it before and thinking you know what you're into, but it ends up just being this this beautifully crazy psychological thriller um, for all the, 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 uh, the technology and the, the complicated sort of sci-fi space nature. The simple heart of the story is just about a dude trying to get home to his wife, his pregnant wife. And so I think there's a real heart of that story. So, so guys and girls are, are really enjoying it, and, and sci-fi geeks are loving it. Um, but, but I'm getting a, a huge, wide range of, of reviews from different different people from different walks of life that are finding different things out of this movie. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to be interested to get a lot of feedback, particularly now it's opened in the states. Um, 
you know, in the next couple of days, I'm looking forward to hearing what people think. I absolutely, I can't wait. So it's it's available on iTunes all over the world. I'm looking at the charts now, mate. You're already above Oblivion, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, District Nine, um, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So you're doing quite well. <laughs> Which is an enduring title, isn't it? Going well, hey. <laughs> nice to get royalties on that one. Um, we oh. just just on the sci-fi and genre charts in Australia, we we were just creeping up all day, all day. And then we finally just knocked off Interstellar, which has been number one for however many months. Um, and that we, there was a little a little cheer of excitement when that happened about <laughs> an hour ago. So, yeah, pretty awesome. Daniel, I couldn't be happier for you. Enjoy the ride. Get a helmet. My love to you and Zoe. And um, I hope you have a great time, buddy. You betcha, man. I look forward to speaking again soon, G. And all the very best to you, mate. I'll see you soon. Bye. You say bye, mate. What a guy. There you go. Daniel McPherson, Infini, I-N-F-I-N-I, 79 to 81 sci-fi. That's my jam. That is my jam. Well, there you go. This is the first time I've done that. A little phone call. Support a friend. I'm very grateful, Dan, for his time. Right. So let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today is Richard Wilkins. Find him on Twitter, at Richard Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Richard was the original host of MTV in Australia. It wasn't on cable when it started here. It was a two or three hour show on a Friday night. And it was the new voice of music in my country. It was super exciting. We all stayed up late to watch it. It was unreal. He, he brought me so many firsts in really formative years of me loving, loving music. Um, and he's pretty much worked pretty much nonstop for 30 years. 30 years he's worked. He's now risen through the ranks. He's now the entertainment editor of the Today Show, which is what you think it is, in the morning on the Nine Network in Australia. But he's had 30 years in the industry. In his words, he did it by simply turning up to work each day. Now, I wanted to be this guy when I was a kid. You've got to understand this. I would watch him at night. He was thrown into music videos. and I, as you know, went on to work in music television and then work on a network television. And I wanted to be him when I was a kid. And there I was in his office interviewing him. It was pretty interesting. Our career paths, our career paths are actually kind of similar. We started in bands, then we realized that wasn't going to work, and we both went to radio, and then we both found television. So it was really interesting, actually. He's, he's quite a man of profile in this country. He has nicknames, which I'm not going to go near. Um, people tend to throw spears at him because he's a high-profile guy, and so he's an easy target. He does allude to his personal life once or twice, but honestly, I couldn't care. It's his career that I wanted to talk to him about. His achievements are remarkable. I respect anyone who lasts more than three seasons on any show in Australia, let alone 30 years. And we get into a lot of uh, chat about how he actually managed that. He and I talked right after he came off air in the Today Show. I got, I got there right on 9 a.m., right as he, he got off air. He still had his earpiece in because he was you know, going back to do some more television. In fact, halfway down, you'll hear the interview change over. I walked downstairs with him into Studio 22. I watched him go live around the country on network television like he's done thousands of times before. It was a little like walking a boxer down into a ring. He had his intern with him. He had his producer with him. He didn't even break step. He got a mic put on him without move, without breaking step. Total pro. And here's the thing that really struck me about him. He is a true gentleman in the office. Uh, the office is packed. All right. We talk about how much, how densely, densely packed the office is there. But you'll hear him offer encouragement and praise as the first words out of his mouth when people walk by or people pick up the phone. And I get the sense that it's just his way to be grateful and to be encouraging 
to everybody on his team that he works with. It was super impressive. So come with me now to uh, the Channel 9 Studios, uh, just about 10 minutes north of the Sydney Harbour Bridge with a room packed to the gills of music memorabilia, gold records, platinum records, set lists, photos of superstars, autographs, books, you name it, it was in there. And let's have a bit of a sit down and a chat with an industry icon in my country, Mr. Richard Wilkins. I'm rolling. So I think I'd also really like to talk about uh, you and this network because, uh, you know, to work nonstop for as long as you have is an achievement in any industry, but goodness, and now one of the changes as much as ours is incredible. So hmm. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, so, well, firstly, where are we? Because this is a pretty amazing office. Um, we are here in the bowels of Channel 9 on uh, Level 2. This is the Today Show's quarters just around the corner from the newsroom. Um, with the weekend today show there and the morning show beneath us and uh, social media and um, nine nine news dot com over there and and the newsroom around the corner and I've um, managed to uh, uh, score myself a little office here at the uh, at the top of the stairwell which is full of bits and pieces that I've accumulated it sort of doubles as a bit of a storeroom sometimes it really it, we're really are we're surrounded on all sides by memorabilia and tickets and um triple a passes and photos of you and and rolling stone set lists <laughs> might i add well i know that's a bruce springsteen set list from when he played in columbia there on the, on the tom joad tour yeah um wow. you know I, I i i get i find it hard to biff stuff away that's sort of significant at the time yeah you know what i mean it's a Photo of Michael Jackson and the night Russell Crowe won his Oscar and stuff like that. Wow, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, I love what I do. And when you love what you do and you, you pick up little things along the way, it's hard to, hard to biff them. I could draw groaning full of stuff. It makes me, it makes me a bit sad. I, um, I had turfed most of my stuff because I, I moved countries and, and I got divorced and I emptied houses and re emptied houses. And you well, go, we've through, all done that. Yeah. When you go through <laughs> box and just go, nah. I don't really need this AAA pass from some gig I went to in '98, but yeah, no, I've, I've, I'm loath to do that. I'll normally stash the stuff, yeah, somewhere. Having said that, my home is as clean as a whistle. There's no, <laughs> you know, there are a couple of nice things hanging. Well, on that's the wall. probably that's probably good. I, yeah, I do, I do recall my ex-wife going, "Yeah, none of that stuff's coming to end." <laughs> yeah, you can all leave, you can leave all that stuff in a drawer. Yeah. Um, so we have we have a few things to come, Richard. Yes, uh, the, number one is that we, we're both immigrants. Well, you, yeah, I don't really consider myself an immigrant, but I suppose I am. Um, yeah, I'm, well, I was born in New Zealand yeah. and uh, lived there until... Well, I think it's important to celebrate that Australia is built on, you know, people that came here. And we both came here. I was young when I came here, but you're a bit older. Well, I live here because I love the place. Yeah. Um, not necessarily because I, you know, was born here and didn't find a good reason to go anywhere else. I, I was born in New Zealand. I'm proud to be a New Zealander. love my New Zealand heritage. Yeah. still have family there. My... Uh, my son Adam lives in New Zealand. I get back uh, when I can. Uh, it's it lurks across the Tasman, you know, just three hour flight away. It's just a movie away, as I like to say. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> and um, you know, movie and a couple of gin and tonics and and, <laughs> and bingo. I uh, you know, as Australia did, um, you know, back back in the day. Although I must, you know, moving to Australia in 1980 with my little rock and roll band and you know, seeking fame and fortune on the other side of the ditch. Seemed like the biggest move I'd ever... Actually, moving from Palmerston North to Auckland was a pretty big deal. But yeah. So moving from Sydney to... Uh, moving from Auckland to Sydney 
was it also an immense d- deal and it's funny how as you get older and travel more you know a quick whip across the tasman is is really but at the time you were a, you're a musician you've got a band and there's other new zealand bands that have done the same thing so you were following in a well-trod path well they made it look pretty easy too split ends you know off you go boy they got an arts grant to go and live in london for a while and you know, the Dragon Boys, Neil Story, the original drummer who sadly passed away, came from Palmerston North, where I was from, or lived for a while. And, you know, they came over here and had mega hits. My friend Steve Gilpin, who, again, sadly, is no longer with us with my six. You know, I used to sing on on the TV talent show called Ready to Roll with, with Steve. Um, back in the day, if they didn't have a video clip for it, they used to, the top 10, if there wasn't a video clip, then they used to get some of us lot in to sing a song. And, Steve Gilpin and I did You To Me Are Everything as a duet and, you know, he, we were sort of doing the cabaret-ish sort of pop sort of circuit at the time. Then he put My Sex together and they came over here. So I looked at all these other bands. How hard can it be? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you cut your hair short, you get on the plane, or not necessarily that short, um, jump on the plane, you do a few gigs and Bob's your uncle. What I didn't realize is they, you know, had it totally together with great songs and great musicianships and they were certainly a lot stronger as as units than i was with my fledgling group despite the support of some wonderful people when i got here i had a guy called gary keady who managed the group and looked after me and became you know a, a major confidence and supporter and he was wonderful i had record company support and all that sort of stuff and we we sort of half got a couple of singles away but it, it, it didn't fire um did countdown <laughs> um and all what that. was that like? Because like this, this would have been my what your so your second experience with music television. Your first experience would have been doing that show you just mentioned. Yeah, well, we did, did a bit of that. Um, but then coming and I'd done bits and pieces of television in Auckland, and I and I knew that I liked doing that stuff. Um, but coming here, I sort of got my first taste of. You know, we had our first single out. I can't remember which one it was. It might be I like listening to my radio, which I thought was good couldn't possibly miss i like listening to a radio and i did i did ids for every station in australia i like listening to 2sm i like listening to three you know we yeah. did them all um as as you do um and then we did sounds i remember going on sounds and we we're trying to get countdown and sounds and we did sounds and that was what the channel nine sounds was on channel seven that was donnie sutherland so saturday morning yeah yeah and then it was like, well, we were booked on Countdown, but you can't do Countdown if you've already done Sounds. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, some things never change. <laughs> so we got punted from the lineup of Countdown, but then subsequently didn't make that mistake next time, went and did Countdown with a song called Young Heroes. And, and you know, so it was. Um, had a good crack at it, and it all sort of fell. But is it true that you, uh, I read a rumor that you, you toured with Grace Jones, is that right? Yeah, toured's probably a bit more grandiose than it was. I think we... I think we did a few shows at the Capitol Theatre and said, yeah, we did a, f- we went into state. It was the typical support act thing, yeah. you know, I think. 50 the, bucks, two loaders. Yeah, I think it might have been a couple of hundred dollars, which, and, you know, it was the, it was the big all-time break. So I was spending every last penny I had. And I think we had a seven-piece band, but, you know, I don't think they really sort of switched the PA on much. And oh. Playing in front of the curtains and, and then did that to a sort of a lukewarm response. Had a lot of fun, mind you. But, um and then, of course, the curtains opened, and you know the woofer boxes were switched on, and and uh, young Miss Jones appeared on stage. Wasn't but, that always the way the support band? They wouldn't turn the bottom end on. Oh yeah, they sort of forget to. We used to play through. I remember when we played in pubs, and we had these double four ways. They were called with the little, the high little tweeters on. I the remember top lugging and, them. I used to be a roadie. They were you know, heavy before heavy. composite boxes. 
Yeah, I mean, one of our first gigs was with um, was a four lineup, four band lineup at the um, Sylvania Hotel, and uh, the numbers were top of the bill. And choir boys, although they were called they were called girls' school or something at the time, they went on to become choir boys. They went on first, and they were pretty good. And then we went on. I thought, damn, we that was a good show. You know, it was a packed house, and we played really well. Numbers were huge at the time. Three piece band from Sydney. And then we came off, and then this band called In Excess went on, who <laughs> just released their first single called Simple Simon. I remember standing there at the side of the stage, and Chris Murphy was there. I didn't know it was Chris Murphy at the time. They had the management team wearing suits and stuff, and you know the band were just on fire, and Michael was all. And I remember standing there thinking, holy shit, now we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so at one point, like, this is a dream. You got on the plane. You told mum and dad, I'm going, to, I'm going to Australia. I'm going to make it. And then at what point did you go, maybe I might have to go do something else? Um, I never really had that conscious decision to sort of hang up the leather pants for once and for all. My parents, I have to say, were wonderful. Sadly, they're not long, no longer with us. But, um, you know, they I played the violin from when I was seven and was in church choirs and got a scholarship to a good school because of my sort of acting and singing and playing violin and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it was my music knowledge was sort of rooted in that. Um, so when I started, you know, but suddenly, of course, the Beatles and the Stones came along and that was a whole lot more interesting than playing Fitz Chrysler um, studies on the violin. Um, so by my year, it wasn't just about the haircuts and the screaming girls. It was, you know, I could tell there was something musically going on and I was really attracted to that. Um, screaming girls and the haircuts came later. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, so I, you know, I was I was drawn to it. And mum and dad were never really that fussed. Um, you know, I'd always been supposed to be a lawyer and then a, then a teacher, music teacher and... Um, I had a kid when I was 18, so that sort of changed my journey a little bit. But my mum and dad were totally supportive, and I remember playing dad some of my songs once. And he was a really traditional guy. And he wrote me a beautiful note saying something lovely that, you know, if he was my age and in today's situation, he'd be doing it with my talent, which was very kind of him. He'd be uh, doing exactly what I'm doing. And I remember tearing up at the time. Wow. That was pretty powerful for him and really important to me. Probably yeah. more, probably as much now as it was at the time. Yeah, that's mm. pretty neat. Yeah, that's, that's that's pretty neat. When the when the band thing ended, it was obviously your trajectory for such a long time. When the band thing came to an end, were you, were you lost it all, or did you know oh, what I you were going to do? I was a bit sad, but um, you know, we had all those problems that every band has with with you know, one of the guys got killed in a car accident. Oh. We had some legal stuff going on where some of the band sued me and the manager, claiming that we were employees, not you know, co-adventurers. So we found ourselves, you know, in a sort of a, a test case in the industrial magistrates court for three days, which in a weird way I sort of enjoyed because my legal, you know, fascination with, with the law was was quite intrigued by all of that. So there was all that kind of stuff going on and the records hadn't fired and, you know, I was I was onward and upward. Until we had a little baby daughter, Rebecca, who's now 31, and mum was staying with us. I couldn't actually afford a table for us to eat on. And mum sort of bought us a table, little table from, you know, some Pinewood warehouse place. And she found a little ad in the paper saying hotshot promotions manager needed at new FM station, which was Today FM. And she said, oh, darling, you could do that job. And I thought, maybe I could. So I wandered in and talked myself into the job or talked them into hiring me. 
And coincidentally, the lady who, who knew far more about the job than I did, who became my assistant, which was, you know, um, she was D Di Edwards, who remains a great friend, who, uh, who was working for the first record label. Um, you know, she says she, she, when I first came over to Australia to check it out, she, she drove me back to the airport and <laughs> assumed that was that. But uh, so we, you know, she worked with me. So there was something meant to be about that. I found myself working in radio, doing marketing and promotions. To Today FM then went, went across to 2UW. Uh, to launch Baz and Pilko, who'd just come across from Adelaide before your time, I know. And then, um, then I started working at Club Superstation, which was the forerunner of Sky Channel, doing music, hosting music clips, thrown to music clips so, between dog races. Preeminent pay TV. True story. Yeah. Early, I think my voice was the first voice on satellite television. So that would have been 86, I guess. Did six months of that, four hours to air, six nights a week. Loved it. You Great were training live. live. Wow. So I notched up a whole lot of flying hours when nobody was watching, which was perfect. It's important, time. isn't it, to have that kind of stuff? Well, to, to develop some sort of, you know, comfortable comfortability or comfort with the um, with the camera. But yeah, it was like, well, we're, we're ten minutes till the uh, till the till the race seven at Dapto. Uh, let's go through to Richard Wilkins for some more music. Thanks very much, Peter Overton, <laughs> who was doing that. <laughs> Um, thanks, Pete. Look, uh, new video from In Excess. It's called Need You Tonight. Let's have a listen. You know, um, I wasn't quite as slick as that, I don't think. But, <laughs> but uh, that was that was invaluable because the next thing that happened, I read in the paper about this thing called MTV that was coming to Australia, and I thought, damn, that's that's me. And like everybody else, like you, like me, like actors and DJs and whatnot, applied for it. And um, how did you apply for it? I, Did I you was, know anybody who knew someone? Well, I had an agent at the time, um, Shirley Pierce, Bedford and Pierce, um, who were Russell Crowe's agents as well. In fact, he and I, I think, came along together for the gig to, to audition. I've got to say that I knew as soon as I met Saul Stein, who was the executive producer, who's now head of um, sport at Channel 7, he and I sensed something in each other, I think. I loved his energy, and I think he knew that I probably thought I was a little old for the job. I was 30, I think. And, um, but you know, it was, it was, for me, it was perfect. It was a, such a combination of everything that I'd done having, he made us write all our own scripts and everything. And, you know, it's super important when you, you know, yeah, well, a lot of people assume that they'll just rock in there and read the auto cue and be fabulous, you know, but he made us just research and write and get everything a hundred percent correct all the time. Which was good, and we did a, a camera to test to camera, um, which you know, fortunately, I'd been doing a bit of that, and uh, felt comfortable, and wrote a couple of snappy scripts, and had a good chat. And I think my knowledge, having played in a few bands over the years, developed some sort of knowledge of what's what it's like in the back of a truck, you know, in the back streets of New Zealand for a few years, does stand you in yeah good stead. So. It seemed like the perfect thing, and um, so April the sixteenth, nineteen eighty-seven, off we were. Mate, I remember it. I, I remember. You were two. I, I remember it for no. I was uh, yeah, thirteen. Have, okay, great. I was thirteen. <laughs> I just turned thirteen, uh, but I absolutely, I absolutely remember it. I absolutely. There was something so magical about it because this is before YouTube. This is before, and countdown was what twenty-two minutes on a Sunday. You barely had four videos in that time well i think we knew that we'd sort of raised or not raised the benchmark but you know countdown was was fantastic love countdown huge mm. role you know groundbreaking by that time it was a bit sort of slapstick they'd gone bit, to countdown revolution or there was something yeah. weird 
And we came along, we had all that great American, the, the bumpers and the graphics. Oh, the packaging and, was incredible. So we could, we could slot into that and, and, you know, obviously record our links. And, you know, it was a powerful beast. And, and we, um, you know, down the track, we started doing stuff. I remember Dennis Hanlon and Saul and I and a couple of Dennis's lads having a bite to eat one day. And he was saying, you know, I'd like to do something with this Daryl Braithwaite album. It's been out for a few weeks. And it's not really doing anything. And Saul said, well, why don't we get him in the studio to play a few songs? We don't really have a budget. So we threw around a few ideas. And I said, what about live in the props bay or this or that? But we, anyway, we just threw them in the studio. With, we simulcasted on FM radio as we did with all these things. Um, Were you using old two-day FM connections to make that happen? I'm not sure who we did it with. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. And uh, and on the Monday morning, the album went to number one. Yeah. Wild horses and all that stuff, and um, and and stayed there for a long time. You and got that, a gold record on the wall. Here. Gold record. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was really, then that was the first time we all went, wow, people are really watching us. And it was the, and after that, we we started doing a lot of, you know, stripped back performances. The Americans liked it so much they sort of copied it and called it unplugged wow so that you know we feel felt quite proud of and they did it a lot better than us because they had the budget you know we were we were running on a, the smell of an oily rag really but it, but it was but it was a nice oily rag <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing i mean you you were the first person to show me spinal tap really yeah how'd they do that you well at night you were you were saying and after the after MTV tonight we're going to show Spinal Tap and you were playing little snippets of the sh of the movie during uh, the broadcast and I was like what is this thing what is that and I waited up really late so because I didn't know how to use the timer in my recorder so I waited up really late till the film started hit record then went to sleep yeah. and it changed my life that film yeah. but you know you you showed it to me. there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When when you started here at the Nine Network, I mean, we're here in this. I don't know. I think this might be the only landmark Australian network that's in the same space that it started in. Because I know Channel 10's moved, Channel 7's moved, the ABC has moved. Um, but this is this building's been here for a very long time. Well, it has. It's a bit like a rabbit warren in places, and um, yeah, but it has. I hadn't really thought about that. It's a do great. Remember, it's a great facility too. You know, we've got our own little compound. We do yeah. stuff out there. Do you remember the first time you you came to this building? I clear as a bell. I remember back because we, there were all these cottages around here. Where Mr. Packer bought up, you know, several of the houses in the in the streets nearby. So all the shows have their own little cottages, um, and and a lot still do. You know, Wide World of Sports are down there, and publicity's there, and sales are down the bottom. Um, it's we've we used the Today Show used to be down there in Scott Street. It's important that we're all here now because we're all you know plugged into the newsroom and stuff. But yeah, I remember coming in here and. 
at the gatehouse and asking for some bloke called Saul Stein at the MTV auditions and getting sort of dragged through the place and up in the little cottage there and sitting there and talking. You know, I, I remember the cottage is still there. It's changed. I think it's it's um, facilities or someone in yeah. there. Wirebenders making stuff in there. So was this was this Alan Bond era or? Yeah, well, it was. Alan Bond came in soon after that. Um, the, the, the Packers were here when I first got here, and then the Bond era mm. came in after that. And then for, for a couple of years or however long it was. Did you meet him? What was he like? We went to a couple of, I don't know if I, well, I did meet him. I met him in Perth on his boat when we were doing something over there. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> of course on his boat. <laughs> but we, no, it wasn't like that really. But we did we did do a big launch on Sydney Harbour at Darling Harbour once. There was a big yacht and all the, you know, on-air people were, were down there. And I remember Glenn Pallister, who's a dear mate of mine, who was a cameraman for us. He was a spunky little number, Glennie, with the long hair and stuff. And he was... He was on the barge with the band, miming the song, and he's now he's now head of the footy show here, he's, and, a, and a great mate. Um, yeah, so they were they were heady days, you yeah. know. Getting on the boat, I remember getting on the boat, having to take our shoes off, walking on with Don Burke and stuff. It was all, and I remember being invited to Sam Chisholm's. Um, Sam, Ch no, was Sam here through the Bond era? I guess he was. Sam had a a fiftieth birthday party here where famously there was a Harley Davidson sort of craned up and into his office and you know the invitation came I couldn't believe I'd got one I was like the kindest gentlest most lovable man in television invites you to his 50th birthday party when you open it up or you'll never work in this fucking industry again <laughs> and I remember standing there next to with Ian Chappell and and all these absolute icons and yeah. God, I'm the only person in the room I've never heard of seriously and uh, Alan Jones made a speech and had everybody laughing and then everybody crying. And, you know, at that point I thought, wow, if I do this right and, you know, it's I, this this gig that I've landed is possibly a, a platform for a, an ongoing career in television because yeah. I love the whole thing. Yeah. I love the family vibe of it as well. Yeah. I love, I love the community and the... We only have to look around. I mean, this is it, unlike other newer TV stations that had, you know, have moved to bigger buildings. This is everyone's packed in here. They really are. Yeah, and it's the collaborative nature of, of television as well, where everybody has their own individual jobs and, you know, nobody really sort of covets. Everyone's got a career path, but it's not like it's not like you're, there are 100 journalists where everybody's kind of sort of doing the same sort of gig. Everybody has sort of got their own little niche here, and yeah. I love that. What did you learn from those early days, either at Sky or here at MTV, that you still like that you used this morning on show? Like what kind of skills? Oh, Saul ta taught me some basic television skills that, um, you know, I feel sorry for sometimes for, for young people starting out because I'd, I'd had that six months, you know, do the sums. I'd never done it, but it, several hours of, you know, a couple of hundred hours of, of television there with, with nobody watching. Sometimes they they get, you know, bright young things from somewhere and throw them on air in front of the, the nation on national television. And I feel not sorry for them, but sometimes I think it'd be good to have six months and Wollongong or Newcastle or Dubbo or Cobar or Broken Hill. Off or, Broadway. Off Broadway. Broadway. Yeah. Learn some skills. But Saul taught me some things like, because there was no instant roll back in those days. Everything was on was on tape mm. on a five-second roll. So I had... So just to explain that, the tape operator hits play mm. and it takes five seconds before the sound and picture sync up and you can you can cut to it. So I mean, you've got to time that 
perfectly. Otherwise, there's a gap on television which nobody wants. And auto cue wise teleprompt, whatever you want to call it, was always on paper. So, you know, I used to write my scripts, dictate them to the, the typist, I guess, um, who would then type them and then feed them through on this machine that had a light underneath it and beam it up onto the camera, which sometimes used to catch on fire, which is another story. <laughs> but, you know, you had to sort of time your, and the director needed to know what you were going to say so he could, you know, work out, okay, he's 20 words from the end. Yeah. So right now, let's have a look at da-da-da-da-da, and here it is, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, yeah. and bang, hopefully your last word syncs up with the yeah. with the tape starting. Um, well, the, the vision starting. So, you know, but Saul always said, mate, when you throw to something, look off camera and look down at the monitor like you're expecting it to be there. Because if we stuff up the roll, I don't want you staring down the barrel of the camera like a wood duck, you know, just be so people at home are aware that it's our cock up, not yours. So little thing and developing those just habits, really. So when you and when you come off a monitor, when you, when the clips finish, come off the monitor and then look back, like you're involved and you're watching the thing. And yeah, it's a little thing that seems so basic now, but um, you know, little tips that I I um, still do to this day. I but think the off-camera thing also fascinates me. You mentioned before that you were at a dinner with Dennis Hanlon. I'll just describe Dennis Hanlon has, has a nickname of being the Don. <laughs> he is like. Well, the chairman we he's the chairman of the board he's the, the he's the man who runs the australian music industry he really really is we wouldn't have an industry he'll pay you for that no but i'm serious <laughs> when you think about what australia could have been an outpost for overseas labels if it weren't for someone like him well dennis still has the passion you know he was down at megan trainer the other night you know bopping away like a like a 15 year old and um that sort of passion from him with his artists he's just, you know i'm going to see ricky martin t tomorrow night and he'll he'll be there you know but, there'll, there'll be a meet and greet, there'll be a plaque, there'll be a photo. You know, How can, important were those relationships that you built at that time? You know, because I'm assuming that they all still exist in your career today. Yeah, I speak to Dennis all the time. And, I, you know, I, I think I was, I always felt like, as I was, the new kid on the block. And, you know, I felt like a bit of a, bit of a, a bit green behind the ear. I wish I'd had more confidence back in those days. That's one of my regrets. But, uh, you know, people like Michael Gadinsky, um, Michael Chug. You know, Paul Dainty, promoters, the record company, and and so many other people. Um, but those those guys, as an example, you know, are still committed, still at the still driving forces with the Australian music industry. So I, I, you know, I think I was fortunate to sort of forge good relationships with most people. Yeah. At that at that time, which still stand to this day. And it's I'm. It's the power of, the, of those relationships I can't be underestimated when it comes to keeping your career on camera. No, well, I don't know. You know, it's, I always thought we sort of lurked um, or sat on a fence somewhere between the television industry and the music industry. And in fact, in those early days, there was the whole pay for play um, battle um, where, where, tell, where, where the, the music industry would say, sorry, it's all right. <laughs> let's all go here. Um, Good job today. Carl Stefanova, he, likes, he pays me to say that. <laughs> um, um, where the music industry said, well, how much are you going to pay us for these video clips that we're giving you free of charge so that you can sell ads around them and you know make lots of money? And went, that, the television went, are you kidding? We're spending a fortune on creating this vehicle. 
you know, and putting you out on to the, to the nation just to play your shitty video clips that you and you'll have a number you, one on Monday morning that, that you sell lots <laughs> of records on. So you know, give it up. Um, and inevitably, a deal was struck. Right. Which, but I, I know that 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 was sort of a bit hairy for us in those days. But it seems amazing to imagine that that was even a that it even happened. You know, considering that how just at Channel V we had just a blanket deal. Well, I think that that came later, and we probably did the mm. the hard yards. Yeah. That you sort of inherited there, and it was sort of the same with us. After a while, where it's a bit like radios paying for for music, but you know, negotiations. There's still stuff going on with all of that. Mm. You know, there's as as the music industry changes, and you know, with the advent of digital streaming and all that sort of stuff, the, the music industry is not necessarily the cash cow that it always was. Mm. And artists, you know, used to tour to promote the album. Now they now they release the album to promote the tour almost, you know, make more money on the road than they do. Absolutely. That's that's the, the only they only make money out of ticket sales now, which is mm. so the industry at both television and music has changed so much since you started. We'll talk about that a bit a bit later. But early in your MTV career, you would have started the the international travel now, which is such a part of your life. I'm trying to guess last night when I was getting ready for this that you must have spent maybe around three whole years of your life on planes. <laughs> yeah, I never thought think of it like that look once upon a time i remember when i first started doing mtv because i hadn't really traveled a lot you know at all but suddenly you know we, we'd scammed a ticket from a record label when wimbledon was on every year and for two weeks in the middle of the year saul and i and later mark fennessy and i um used to travel we and we used to hit up three different record companies and we used to do like three days in la three in new york and three in london with it travel day in between and we'd have you know one day for sony one day for polygram or one day for universal one day for warners or whatever it was and they used to pick up the cost because we had no budget and just bang out interviews all day so it was up to them to you know line up talent that used to come through on the hour invariably we used to go out and have pretty big nights so it was always you know a bit of a punish when you know the act started rocking into your (laughs) your room because it was always my bloody room that we used to do the interviews in Saul, it's, don't wake me, Diggy. I've had a, we had a big night last night. So screw me when you finish. Uh, screw, call me when you when you finished. Hang on, let, let me just. Um, no, you got to do it. Let me just. <laughs> um, and and suddenly, you know, it was the first time I'd ever sort of travelled like that, and you know, landed a business class ticket. And sometimes back then, you know, we used to, you know, by fair means or foul, used to upgrade to a first class ticket. And I remember sitting in Qantas in first class back in the day. When um, when it was you know the, up the pointy end of Qantas and the seats the seats weren't like they are now but they did used to, they used to serve you vodka and you know they used to carve beef and stuff like that it was very different and stop in Tahiti on the way I hasten to add to on refuel the, on the way to LA yeah, on the ground and used to get off these planes and look up and it was just, but so, I always used to say to Saul can't wait we're going going to LA tomorrow and he said Diggy never 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 count on it until the wheels are up and the you know taking off. And he, I remember the first time we went, the wheels tucked up, and you said, you "said I think we're half a chance now." Because we, we always thought, you know, David Leckie or someone would go, "Hey, what do you boys think you're doing? Come on, forget about it." You know, yeah, dream about that, lads. You. Know. So we did that, and suddenly to find yourself doing that, and then going to the MTV Awards at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles, and you know, being in a room with Madonna and Prince and Michael Jackson and. Rod Stewart and Arsenio Hall who was hosting the first one and all that stuff. Okay. Seems to be going okay so far. 
but I, you know, I did, I was always so in hindsight, so, um, I don't know. So not scared, but lacking in confidence. I think I was, you know, I always felt that someone was going to say to me, Hey, okay, you gave it a good shot, but you know, we're going to get someone to do the job properly now. That you still had that feeling. I did for a while. Yeah. And then in fact, when does it go away? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's only a few years ago, really. I don't know how many, but um, well, no, I remember a point in my life where I thought, okay, this is what I do. This is what I love doing. I actually enjoy it. There was a time when I thought, I wonder what I'll do when I finish doing this. Um, and then after the MTV thing finished, I, you know, there were a f- sort of few years in the wilderness, although I always managed to keep um, something happening here at Channel 9 to kind of keep me uh, on the payroll to some degree. Um, but, yeah, it was, only, it was only maybe 10 years ago that I thought... Maybe when they made me the sort of entertainment editor for the network and I started doing much more stuff for news and started getting more invited to meetings and strategies, strategy meetings and planning and stuff like that, that I actually felt, um, it's a bit embarrassing, that isn't it? No, no, it's... That, that, um, you know, I felt more, or totally confident, not totally confident, but, you know, confident in my ability to, uh, to be the best at what I can be you know I really I really um uh, with due respect you know Eddie McGuire said some lovely things when he was um when he was here you know he's, he's he said something about you know he's the best MC in Australia and the best entertainment reporter in the world and, I, and he you know and it was he was he was being obviously very kind but it was it meant a huge amount to me and um just to have someone like him who I rate enormously give you a little validation like that you don't sit back on your laurels but you realize that you know people do respect the hard work that you do Ginge has kindly said to me Diggy's the hardest working bloke in the building and I really do I spend a lot of time here you know um, just trying to get as many facts right as you possibly can and um, put in the hard yards before the chat that's what a lot of people might not understand is that you know this the I guess people look at the, the the E News or they look at this sort of thing and they they see exactly what you're saying. They see the pretty person who got pulled off a catwalk, handed not even handed a sheet of paper, handed a couple of cards and told, ask him this, ask him that, ask him this. And when we do this with our hands, is when you stop talking. <laughs> um, but for you to say that, I want to get as many facts right as I can before the chat. Um, I mean, I'm I'm the I, I spent two hours getting ready for this yesterday. Really? Yeah, but I just but I won't I won't go in. When are those questions going to kick in? <laughs> <laughs> but I won't I won't go into I I won't go into an interview unless I've I've done the research myself. I tried working with an external researcher for a while, but I couldn't deal oh, with no. it. I couldn't deal with it because it's like what are, what are they missing? I, I have to know. Yeah, well, me too. I you know I always sit down and go through everything, even with travel. You know, I never trust travel agents. Really, I'm the one that. I'm the one who's going to be sitting for eight hours at some airport somewhere. I always double check that stuff. But right, yeah, I always like to prepare for for an interview interview properly. You know, it's got to take your fun seriously. What's okay? So just quickly, last thing on travel. What's your largest travel time to interview length ratio? Oh God. Well, I think the further you travel, the more sort of important it seems in your mind. You know, you travel to New York to interview Madonna. It's funny when we landed a Madonna interview a month or so ago, it's two, two months ago, and it was a Tuesday when they called me and they said you've got to be in New York on Thursday if you want to do it. And I said, oh, 
God, can't, isn't that why God invented satellites? Can't we do it on satellite? And they came back from Liz Rosenberg. And she said, that's her publicist, the famous yeah, yeah. Madonna publicist. Yeah. She said, yeah, well, you can do it on satellite, Richard. No problem. We'll, we can do that. And, da, 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 da. and then I came into work. I came, Christian, my son, came home and I, said, I got a Madonna interview. He said, oh, where are you doing it? I said, well, I'm doing it here. I don't really have to go to New York. And he said, why wouldn't you go to New York? I said, well, it's a long way away to go tomorrow. He said, you're getting lazy, Dad. And I came into work and Sarah, my producer, said this Madonna thing, but I think, you know, that, I was trying to talk people into thinking that the satellite was a good idea. And she said, okay, so if you wouldn't go to New York for Madonna, who would you go for? I was like, okay, book me a freaking ticket. <gasps> oh, man, what a question. <laughs> yeah. And I had been the year before to do Bruce Springsteen. So, you know, it was um, it was important to do. Wow, to have people around like that. <laughs> All right, we're rolling again. That's why they send, they used to send record company people in. It's a shit. <laughs> Uh, well, that was exciting. We just went downstairs and did some TV. The magic of television, eh? The magic of television. We walked down to Studio 22 downstairs here at Channel 9, which was, as you said, the studio that you first did MTV in. And we do mornings there now. Yeah, it's, a, it's you know, the morning set comes, uh, the morning, the uh, Today Show set sort of comes out, mornings goes in, it's, um, it's crew stay there. It's great. It's fantastic. Well, I was just talking with your interns then, just trying to describing why I'm here. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, the guy's never been out of work for 30 years. Why are you, of course I'm here. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when, you, when you're 17 and uh, at uni or something, that probably seems like a crazy thing to do, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. It? I mean, that's the difference between my generation, I think, and a lot of the youngsters of today, this freaking thing keeps going on and on and on. Sorry. That's um, right. But, um, you know, my dad worked for BP for 30 years or something. And um, I was kind of sort of half brought up on that philosophy. You know, you, you do something, you do it properly, you, you find out what you, what you like doing, what you're good at, and then you, that's what you do. That's who you are. Yeah. Um, the kids of today, you know, my, my son Christian, he'll... Well, he's not the best example, I don't suppose. But a, a lot of young people, they do something for six months and they think, do this and do that. And just when they're rising through the ranks here, they'll think, say at the Today Show, doing things, they think, oh, I think I might go and work in radio for a while. Off they go. And, mm. you know, it's a, it's just a different mindset. It's it's just different, that's all. But you have such a unique perspective on not only our industry, but the music industry and, and media as a whole. How, look, let's just talk about this. How much of the the fame and what it means to be famous and what it means to be in the public eye and people that you've observed in the public eye changed since you started? Well, I think the whole sort of advent of social media and this obsession with sort of celebrity culture, you know, there was no TMZ a few years ago. Um, and I think that sort of changed things in a, in a weird kind of way. You know, when I first started, you know, rock stars were, famous you know rod stewart was famous for having hit records and beautiful girlfriends and wives and traveling the world and kicking soccer balls around and you know occasionally some rock star or some movie star would get thrown out of a pub or get in a fight or something but that was sort of it i think um you know there was a few marriages and stuff like that but you know the whole notion of the voyeuristic nature of, of um, the whole celebrity thing, you know, epitomized by the whole Kardashian thing and mm. the Paris Hilton and the simple life where people actually embrace um, the notion of just being sort of famous for the sake of being famous. Um, 
was a bit of a game changer, I think. Yeah. And what about what about television, what it is to be television? We were just downstairs in um, in the studio while you did a live cross and your son's doing social media for the show. During the commercial breaks, he's still keeping the brand alive on another platform. So the, yeah. It's changed so much. Well, that's amazing. I've only re- really become of this uh, Periscope thing in the last you know few weeks where David and Sonia were and some interjections from yours truly were communicating on a totally different platform going out live mm. via, through through Twitter right um, which is and people are responding and asking questions and it's that's sort of fun you know I, I, I quite like that aspect when you if you're watching the voice or something there's a there's, there's the show on television then there's the whole other dialogue that uh, that makes it fun as a, as a viewer and, and we have nine has to jump in app which allows you to communicate with that and if you miss something see it back later so it, it's totally changed exponentially and i keep saying wow we're doing this now imagine what we're going to be doing in five years time well yeah so where do you think it's where do you think it's going to go where's television going to end up i, I must say and Ginge probably not going to like me hear him hearing me say this but i mean i think television is is for the foreseeable free-to-air television is, is for the seeable for the foreseeable future going to be the big end of, of town still while while we're basically news current affairs driven uh, where if you want to see what's going on in the world as epitomized today with the horrific acts that were happening in uh, in Indonesia um, or if you're watching a big sporting game if you want to watch the Kiwi Australian rugby league test on Friday night you know you you, you still watch it on channel nine um, and you know the today show it's it's Stuff like that. Um, but more and more, I find myself, if there's nothing that I really want to see on telly, you know, I'll end up uh, binge viewing some House of Cards or Breaking Bad or something like that. And, you know, Nine's embraced um, that whole thing by becoming part of it with, with Stan, for example. You know, we've got Better Call Saul, the, the sort of um, prequel series to, to Stan. And again, it's, it's just fantastic. So, I, you really got to commend these executives who are in some ways having to look into the future and see where they are going to invest, you know, big chunks of cash to prepare the um, the, the network for, for the future. Um, so I don't know what, you know, where it's all going to end up. Are we all just going to be watching YouTube one day and just completely, um, you know, completely doing our own thing i think that'll happen to some Joni mitchell crook has yeah she's quite sick isn't she? yeah. um red pops on television doesn't it? yeah doesn't it really it? does <laughs> um so um but you know as as i said news and current affairs it's it, it takes a, a lot of money to invest in the resources that we have in the national nine network with the choppers and the this and the that and the reporters all around the world and great cameramen and you know, not just reporters, great reporters mm. you know, who can tell stories and know how to find the stories and cameramen who, who can deliver the greatest. Pe- there's always there's always going to be a need for that. And that, that's always hopefully, you know, going to be on uh, free to air television. And that's where I'm I love I love working in television. I love live television, that buzz of doing stump, something live. There's nothing quite like the big ones, is there? No, I love it when you and, you know, when when I go on a movie set or I'm waiting for someone to shoot a video or even going in the studio sometimes with it's not quite as bad but um you know you're on a movie set and you and you spend hours just waiting for oh we're just going to do one more retake waiting for lighting and this and that and it's like, oh god save us you know it's like us lot on the today show when you get us all together and 
couple of times a year we have to go and do photo shoots and things or, or messages for, for Christmas and, and we're, we're just the worst mob because usually we, we just do live TV, you know, get in there at whatever time, on air at 5.30, finish at 9 and, you know, and then on with the, the rest of the day. But do I have us? Oh, so look, we're just not happy with the light. We're just it's like, what are you just freaking? You know, <laughs> we're so intolerant, so impatient. Yeah, I look. I honestly, I've had to really readjust doing Bachelor, which is a post-produced show. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we used to everything I did up until Bachelor was live. Yeah, you do all the work, all the work beforehand, mm. then you get on, you mm. make it happen, and then it's done. You can't do anything about it. You've got to be okay with that. Yeah, you that, can't sh fix that it. show's gone. Yeah. Then you come up to the office and work on the next one. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's all you can do. Hmm. You um, Look, what do you think is the reason that you've never stopped working? Because there's no – I'm just trying to think. Look Besides five maybe kids. The, maybe, well, look, maybe the odd cricket commentator has been on, on air in Australia actively, but you've been – you've outlasted – there's not even anyone on news that was around when you started. Don't say it like that. I, no, but it's, it's never... from a place of admiration, man. How, how – what is it? I've never th thought of it like that. But I haven't, you know, I did MTV for six years till the day. We finished on April the 16th, 1993, when, you know, the, the deal with Viacom came. We did two three-year deals. And at 1993, um, MTV were looking at their own um, platform correctly, um, as you would. And, um, you know, Fox Tour was happening and all that stuff. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, it was it was always a slightly clumsy matter. Um, we were the first affiliate outside, you know, first affiliate. So we were, you know, we were we were guinea pigs, and we were sort of the oaks from the boondocks, you know, dealing with all the cool crowd in New York. So it was a bit of a clumsy marriage from time to time. So I did that, and then you know, I did have a few years in the wilderness where I, you know, I was doing the I used to fly around the world and do a few music specials and. Um, started you know was doing hosting the fireworks and various other things I, I remember being quite and writing magazine articles and doing a few radio specials and things I was always sort of busy but I did that for a while and then found a found a bit of a toehold at the Today Show when Lizzie Hayes actually who, who I was flatting with for a year um, Joan McInnes was doing movie reviews and she left doing that to to go and marry Sir James Hardy so and Lizzie said, you, you should do movie reviews for us. I went, oh, okay. And I went and had a meeting. I said, executive producer, what do you want me to do? He said, I'll just pick, pick a film each week, get three video, three scene clips, and write a bit of a script and toss to them, Bob's your uncle. I'm oh, cool. So I did that. That sort of, um, you know, uh, su helped subsidize a few other things for a while and then grew it and grew it and grew it. And I suppose for probably the last mm, 12, 15 years I've been on, you know, many times a day. Cara, I can't talk, darling. You were fantastic yesterday. I'm I'm in the middle of an interview. You'll you'll probably be part of it now. Is it urgent? Ask me now. Logie's shoes. There you go. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to Logie's. What are you going to wear? We can't clash. I'm going to wear black. Well, actually, I'm wearing a blue suit. Cara, I don't know what's. I've got black patent leather shoes at home. Unless, what do you mean? Are they nice? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Osha Gunsberg. Hi, Cara. I'm wearing a black tux. Hi, good, fantastic. Do you have shoes? Yeah, I've got shoes. Um, they're 
they're quite shiny. Okay, you're going to shine. Why have you got shoes going cheap, have you? Well, yeah, I was going to get you some for free. Oh, I don't have any shoes, actually. That would be really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a size 12. <laughs> I'm size 43, I think, Cara. 43, okay. I think. Hang on, I'll just have a look at these ones. <laughs> 40, oh, shit, these are 45. God. Okay. Mid-40s. Mid what? 40 or 45? Not 40. The, the, I thought they were 43. That might be my neck. Oh, no, what's my... Oh, I can't remember now. 43 neck sounds about right. Is... 45 shoes, please. Yes, please. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Dom. Bye. Bye. Mate, if it's, if it's any consolation, <laughs> I spent most of my Monday trying on three to five different suits. Oh, good. For, <laughs> it's not just me. For the Logies, for the, you know, what's essentially 125th of a second in a camera flash. Yeah. Um, so I know you've been up forever, so let's just – I'll wrap it up. What, when do you get out of bed on a, on a weekday morning? Um. Just to back up, so I don't really think that I've been, you know, I don't think of the fact that I, you know, could probably qualify for long service leave. I just have enjoyed the journey and still enjoy it and still keep turning up. It's when they, you know, when they give you a nice little plaque or something and you think, I don't, you know, all I've done is come to work. Right. You know? um, and I'm not the sort of person, I don't really take big holidays. You know, I have a couple of times when I've, you know, a couple of times when you might, go away somewhere fancy with someone special but um you know i just like hanging with the kids or we have family holidays now and then but you know I've, i get a bit bored on holidays it's, what am i going to do now you know what i mean <laughs> yeah read a book have a few meals and have a swim and sort of feel i'm missing out on something right you know what i mean anyway next question um so normally well this morning i had an ollie and ollie errs ollie <laughs> sorry ollie. This morning I had an Ollie Murs interview at 3 a.m. Um, when he was backstage at Birmingham. Um, so I spoke to him on the tele. I was on the telephone, lying in bed because it was bloody cold, and he was backstage there. So we, you know, we have a cameraman shoot that, send back the pictures. We do that up as a voiceover piece. Uh, in other words, you know, yeah. I'm not on camera. It's just him and lots of video and pretty pictures and stuff. Um, so. And then I was in here, our show started early at five o'clock this morning, although there wasn't too much entertainment on the program this yeah. morning, but it's a bit of a different day. Normally I have, um, you know, normally I, I'm sort of part of the panel that does, you know, the buzz and the day driver topics and the cash giveaways and stuff. And then I have a dedicated entertainment spot at 6.50 every morning where we do the news of the day. So I, I like to get in about, um, about five, quarter past five, Sarah, my producer's in at the same time. She'll she'll have spent a bit of time trawling around online, seeing seeing what's new, what's fresh, mm. any big stories developing. Um, we've got a terrific team who are in most of them in at two or three. We've sort of got three distinct shifts at the Today Show. The first first mob get in like really ridiculously early, um, and put the show to air. Then have everyone has a ten o'clock meeting, and then most of them disappear. And then it's a sort of a handover to the to the day shift, if you like, who I guess start probably eight or nine and go through till four or five. And then we have the sort of night shift who are editors and things who are getting the show ready. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a beast that never sleeps. And three and a half hours a day, seven days a week. That's a lot seven, of TV. Seven days a week. That's a lot of content. That is a lot of content. So, a, and it's a great team. You know, it really, it really... Over the years, there have been, you know, there have been some sort of struggles, if you like. But um, 
it really is a great team. Yeah. Show's rating well. We're doing well. You know, on air, it's a very cohesive bunch. You know, Lisa, Carl, and I have been there for, for a while, and um, me longer than them. Um, Timmy Gilbert's slotted in there. Sylvia's awesome. Stevie Jacobs has been there as long as me and Carl, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty good team. Um, and we've got wonderful people, a lot of young people, a lot of seasoned heads. Um, Alex Needs and Mark Calvert, uh, 2IC and EP, respectively, who are you know, great at what they do. Darren Wick, the head of News and Current Affairs, fantastic. David Gingell, who's, you know, thank God for Ginge, uh, this network wouldn't be what it is without him. And he's, you know, given us a lot of resources here and really backs us in. Because this show, the Today Show is important. You know, I love being part of the Today Show because it really does more and more and more set, set the agenda. You know, Breakfast Television does set the agenda for the day. You know, we, we do stuff on air and radio runs with it during the day and then you often see the flow on at news at night and then, you know, mm. next day it's a whole, whole new ball game. The, yeah. the news cycle's kind of like that. What's interesting, there's, there's a sparkle in the eye when you talk about, when you talk about work. Yeah. Even when you're getting here at, you know, getting up at three in the morning to do interviews, man. Well, no, I didn't. I did that one at home. And, uh, you know, from three to three, three, to, I hate it when people are late because I run, you know, I run my diary like a miller. I still use the old fashioned diary and just write stuff in and, 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 and cross it out when it's, when it's done with a, a colored thingamajigamy marker, whatever they're called. Because um, I like to be able to look at it and, and look at a week, you know. Um, so I hate it when people are, Hate it when people are late. Often now I'll make appointments for, have done for a few years. I didn't with you, but <laughs> often when people say, what time can you meet? And say, uh, look, I can do um, five past 10. I go, five, five past 10? go, yeah. Is that okay? See, sure. I've got a phone call at uh, 10 o'clock that'll probably go for three and a half minutes. I'll need to make a couple of notes after that and then, then we're on. Is that good? And they'll go, and they go, I, and I can bet you a million bucks that that person will be there at five past ten. Where if you if you say, oh, let's meet around, let's meet at ten, they'll probably waltz in at quarter past. You no. know, so it's a good, a good little trick. Oh, I'll, I'll remember that. <laughs> so, what would you say? Uh, I saw your son downstairs. He's mm. working here at the, at the network. He works what, in social media. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's listening, who's thinking about not not necessarily a career in media, but just like someone who's entering the workforce? What would you say, knowing what you know now about what it takes to stay working in a changing industry. I think you just got to work hard. Um, you know, work hard, know your product, which is sometimes you and sometimes an interview that you're working on. You know, know know what you're doing, love what you're doing, and and be be passionate about it. And if you do that, then you know, I love a good cliche because it's the most efficient way of saying things sometimes. But you know, if you find something you love, then you never have to work a day in your life. And my mum always said, you know, darling, there are two ways of doing, and she wasn't talk, talking about my work at all. She was probably talking about gardening or something, but there are two ways of doing something. There's the easy way and, and there's the proper way. And, you know, I try to do things properly the first time and, um, and then you, then they're done, you know. The other thing she told me was, um, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. And I love that. Um, so I just teach my kids and, 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 uh, fortunately they've stuck to my advice. Um, just to work hard, you know, nothing, you, you get, you reap what you sow. Um, 
work out and find something you love doing and, and hopefully find something that you that, that you're good at because when you get an early sniff of success it uh, it does invigorate you and propel you to you know greater challenges um, my dad always said bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell I don't know whether that's such great advice these days but um, you know it is good to to see a challenge and if you're good enough to get the job you're good enough to do the job probably probably um, but it is good to challenge yourself but I, I think just hard work the value of hard work and most young people well a lot of young people I suspect feel a bit sort of entitled to having a great lifestyle that their parents have sort of struggled to let them have but um, certainly the young interns and people we see through here a credit to their families and to themselves just bloody well work hard Mate, this has been so great. I'm so grateful you made time for me. I'm just going to set up a camera and uh, I'll mm. take your photo real quick, all right? Mm. What are you drinking? It's green shit that they give us every morning. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Richard Wilkins. You can let him know you heard him here. Please do. He's on Twitter quite a bit. At Richard Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Have a listen if there's anything that resonated with you. Let him know. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being a part of this show. Your support by downloading each and every week uh, leads me to be able to do many, many, many more projects. And so thank you by supporting me, by making this show the success it is. Have an absolutely cracking week. Don't forget to check out Michelle Laurie's Nitty Gritty, Nitty Gritty Committee this week. I don't know how she says it every week. Um, and I guess just to allude to what we were talking about before, try to find some healing time with those who mean a lot to you, even if it's 15 minutes while a baby has a nap. Have some time to just connect and just remember why you and that person are doing what you're doing. It's worth it, I promise. So I'll talk to you next week. Between now and then, take care of yourself, be kind, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 